you sound good. <laughs> For those of you who are online, and uh, we, we appreciate you joining us, but I wish you were here to hear the, the congregation sing. And uh, I, I've, I'm sitting down here, I was listening just to, to your voices joining together, praising God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we are leading up to Easter by looking at the events of those of that week to see the real Jesus through the final events of Jesus' earthly life. And we've come to the arrest, the betrayal of Jesus outside the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's important to understand the full story of the arrest and the betrayal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on the disciples and the betrayal of Jesus. Well, they, they focus on Jesus, but their primary concern is, is to show us the, the, uh, the, the weakness and the lack of faith. We see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke the betrayal of Jesus by Judas with a kiss, the momentary yet feeble attempt to defend Jesus by his followers, Peter drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of the high priest servant. The unneeded show of force by those soldiers who come ready for battle. The submission of Jesus and the quick retreat of his disciples. They, these gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's no conflict between their accounts, and, and John. It's just a difference in emphasis, for John focuses more on Jesus. And, and really, each one of the Gospels add a different detail. It's not that they, uh, not that they conflict with each other. It's, it's like they're sitting at different places around this chaotic arrest that takes place in the middle of the night. So this morning... We're going to focus on John's account. For the gospel of John does focus more on Jesus. John, and don't misunderstand me. He, John doesn't ignore the other details. He gives us enough of those details to show us that, he is a, that it is an eyewitness account. But we often forget what's in John. We remember more of Matthew, Mark, and Luke the failure of the disciples. And, and, and I think that it, the reason for that is because it often ties into our own failure and our own resistance to Jesus in our lives. So John, John wants us to focus on the real Jesus, the divine Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the loving intent of Jesus to stand between us and the evil in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. May these words be your words. Hide me behind the cross, O oh God, and for every word that I don't speak that you would have me speak, I pray that you would stand in the gap and we would hear your word for us this day. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
It is late night on the Thursday of Holy Week. In fact, more accurately, it's early Friday morning, probably between 1 and 3 o'clock. It is late. The disciples have just come out of the Garden of Gethsemane in the prayer of Jesus. And we know that Judas did not go with them. Instead, Judas went to meet with the, with the Jewish uh, uh, authorities and joined with a Roman group of soldiers as well as a few police from the Jewish Sanhedrin. They are waiting for Jesus near the Garden of Gethsemane. The night is illumined by a full moon. I can only imagine what it must have looked like, you know, the eerie shadows of the tree, the olive trees, and the coming of the torches and lanterns of the mob that is before them. And this is what John tells us in verse 2. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, whom are you looking for? I love the way John tells the story. The word typically translated detachment is the word, it's a a Greek word that means cohort. Now, cohort is a word to describe a unit of Roman soldiers. That unit would have between 480 and 800 soldiers. Seems like a little bit of overkill to me. I don't know about you. (laughs) And we can add to this mob the collection of Jewish uh, police. I think... Judas has convinced the Roman authorities and the Jewish Sanhedrin that even in the middle of the night with a small band of close followers, Jesus poses a massive threat. Down deep, down deep, Judas knew that he was dealing with the divine power of Almighty God. Picture the moment. Against this massive show of force, the eerie shadows of the moonlight, the lanterns against the backdrop, the waving torches. It is Jesus, not Judas, that takes control. It is, it is Jesus, not Judas, who takes charge of the situation. It is Jesus that steps forward, for he knows what is coming, and with authority says, whom are you looking for? And they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. Hmm. You know, John is the only gospel that picks up on the phrase, ego imi. It's quoted uh, about 20 times, depending on how you read the gospel of John. Ego imi, which means I am. I am he. In the Old Testament, when Moses asked God for a name that the, that the children of Israel may, may call upon God, the answer that he gives them is Yahweh. Difficult to translate it. Roughly translated, it means I am who I am or simply I am. Can you hear it? 
I am he. I can only imagine the look on Judas's face <laughs> when Jesus says, I am he. I can only imagine what Judas must have thought, for Jesus was implying, Judas, you've misunderstood my purpose. I have come to do much more than just restore the kingdom of David. I have come to bring the kingdom of God to all people in every corner of this world. The I am who brought all creation into being with just a word is before you. The one who is, was, and will be is here. I'm sure at that moment Judas was probably thinking... I don't have enough men. <laughs> no, even a thousand men would not be enough. The divine presence of God is before me. This is the one who said, ego imi. This is the one who said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am he. I am he. I am. And Judas is freaking out. In fact, what John tells us is that he says, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Now, do you remember that part? We often just kind of skip over it. Just the phrase spoken by Jesus, I am he, caused the entire cohort to fall like dominoes. Understanding Jesus' power in this moment is important to fully understand who Jesus is. Because Jesus was not overwhelmed by the Roman Jewish guard. Jesus was not outnumbered. Jesus willingly surrendered himself to the authorities because of his love for us. Jesus put himself into the hands of those who would do anything to kill him. Yet, in dying, Jesus opens the door to our God's forgiveness, restoration, new life, and the full power of God's love. Not justice, not what we deserve, God's love. And he knew that death could not hold him. Jesus then says, I told you that I am he, so if you're looking for me, let these men go. Twice Jesus asks, whom are you looking for? Twice they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Twice Jesus says, ego imi, I am he. Not only is Jesus using the question, whom are you looking for, to declare his divinity, but Jesus is also protecting his disciples. He knew that they were not ready to face the persecution and harassment that was before them. Not yet. They still did not fully understand the purpose of Jesus' surrender. Not yet. They could not see the real Jesus. Not yet. So Jesus said, let these men go. And Jesus also knew that they're 
their failure was temporary, that, that soon they would understand, that they would see Jesus' willingness to go to the cross, knowing that with one phrase, he could have wiped out the Roman garrison. The disciples would find their understanding of the real Jesus in seeing the crucifixion and resurrection and receiving the Holy Spirit. For as Jesus transforms this horrible, tragic suffering of injustice and human loss into a crushing victory over all that stands against our oneness with God, so it is with us. Jesus' submission to this uh, remote, late-night arrest, the unjust trials, the beatings, the crucifixion, has an eternal purpose. And Jesus, Jesus shows us just how far God is willing to go and how far God loves us, how much God loves us. And so on the night that he was arrested and betrayed, he wasn't overwhelmed. He gave himself willingly. And really, so it is on every night, dark night of distress that exists in our lives. He gives himself willingly to us to stand in the way of evil. Now, Let's ask a few questions here. In seeing the real Jesus, as John does, what shall we do? John shows us that even though Jesus has the power to resist the arrest, he's willing to go as far as it takes to protect his disciples and to show his love for us. And many times we do the same thing. We, uh, we take a look at our, our situations and we underestimate the power of Jesus. We look at the accumulation of our losses and, and we wonder, can God really handle this? We wring our hands and say, oh no, what are we going to do? It's only going to get worse. When we even take matters into our own hands by taking our financial, intellectual, emotional swords out of their sheaths to do battle instead of relying on God. By the way, what was Peter doing bringing a sword to a prayer meeting? I mean, have you ever asked that question? I mean, what, 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 what was he thinking? After Jesus rebuked Peter... It's recorded in Matthew that he said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for 12 legions of angels? A legion consisted of 6,000 men. 12 times 6,000, 72,000. Jesus didn't call on the legion of angels because Jesus wants us to know how far God is willing to go. Jesus didn't call on the legion of angels because in his sacrifice, 
God shows his love for us and pays the price for the consequences of our sin. Jesus didn't call on the legions of angels because he wants us to know how much he loves us. And Peter, Peter underestimated the power of God. Will we? Will we? Our challenge is to remember the promises and victory of Jesus and to never underestimate the power of God. For he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us always and everywhere remember those promises and call upon them to call to mind those scriptures and to claim them in the name of Jesus. Let us always and everywhere remember that God is all-powerful everywhere at all times. And whatever may come our way, our God is bigger enough. And God's love will always overcome evil. There was once a dad who had three daughters, five, seven, and nine. He and his wife would take turns uh, picking them up from school. You can only imagine what an exciting trip that might be. And one day as he's taking his girls home from school, the oldest spied this little kitten limping down the road, mangy, skinny, on death's door, and the girls began to cry, Daddy, stop! Stop, we, let's save the kitty. Reluctantly, the father kind of thought through, okay, saving a cat like that, nursing it back to health is going to be an ordeal, but my girls might learn a lesson in this and caring for something and, 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 and what it would mean to, uh, to help an animal and nurse it back to health. So he stops the car. He takes a box out of the out of the trunk and makes his way back to the cat. And as he reaches down, the little kitten went into attack mode, biting and scratching with every ounce of strength that it had left. Finally, the dad gave up. With his hands and arms bleeding, he's making his way back to the car. And the girls are now hanging their heads out the window, screaming, No, Daddy, no! Don't give up. Save the kitty. <laughs> Shaking his head, he turns around and goes back. And enduring the pain of the bites and scratches, he finally gets the kitty into the box, puts it in the back seat, and says to the girls, don't touch it. It would take days before the kitten finally trusted the family enough not to inflict wounds. But over the course of time, the kitty and cat became the family's favorite pet. The dad would think is that the cat would sit in his lap and pet the cat and it would purr. I hope you understand how much this cost as he looked at the scars on his hands and arms. Later in life, in the deepest, darkest hour of this father's life. As a Christian, 
He prayed each night and he cried out to God. Desperately, he would pray, God, please show me something. Give me something, a word, anything. I need to know you care. I need to feel your love. I need to know that all things are truly in your hands. Night after night, looking for relief. And finally, one night, God answered his prayer in a vision. And and, and in the vision, the hand of God reached down to the man in the most loving way possible. And when he looked and saw the hand, it had scratches and wounds all over it. In that moment, the dad knew and understood how much God loved him and that God through Jesus Christ would never give up on him. And so as we see and experience the real Jesus, we realize that God will never give up on us. We realize the cost and how much God loves us.